This is the Education Gadfly Show. Just kidding, David. David's, uh, uh, David's blushing. He's blushing. I'm cringing. It's just a constant cringe. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me welcoming our special guest for this week, Hallie Faulkner, the National Policy Director at the American Federation for Children. Hallie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Also joining us, my co-host, David Griffith. Always a pleasure, Mike. Always great having you here, David. And Hallie, you know, you had a a long journey here in Washington, (laughs) D.C. You know, people might imagine that all of us in D.C. are just seeing each other all the time and, you know, all working in the same place. In this case, yeah, you're like half a block from us here. I am, yeah. I got to stop at Starbucks on the way, so I'm very happy. Uh That actually took you out of your way uh, to stop at Starbucks. (laughs) One of those two things is true, Mike. We do all work in the same place. We just don't see each other. It's true. No, we don't see each other very often. I mean, it does happen every once in a while. You'll see... Uh, somebody getting lunch or I remember somebody <laughs> emailed no they, they tweeted that they saw my lunch waiting for me at the truck <laughs> oh, around the corner uh, I felt my vi- my privacy violated they knew which kind of salad I had ordered I don't know that's weird that's yeah. weird yeah. all right the first world problems indeed but Hallie great to have you with us and we are going to talk about the brand new right hot off the presses 2017-18 school choice guidebook that came out from the American Federation of Children recently so let's do that on Ed Reform Update Okay, you have been doing this annual guidebook. It used to be called a yearbook, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, but I don't know, what, now after the whole Kavanaugh thing, yearbooks kind of have a, a bad name to them. Oh, couldn't help it, couldn't help it. Uh, just kidding, David. David's uh, uh, David's blushing. He's blushing. I'm cringing. It's just a constant cringe. Cringing. That's what you got to come to expect. All right, it's a guidebook this year, and it gives us all kinds of information about uh, the programs around the country, how many kids are getting served, uh, and you also do some evaluating. You've got a ranking. We love rankings here. So first, the basics. How many kids are getting access to private school choice program? Thanks. Yeah. So the yearbook, now the guidebook, has been around since actually 2005. So a while now, over a decade. And this is the first year that AFC has included scores and rankings for the private school choice programs in the guidebook. So we're super excited to share that this year. And um Mostly, we hope that the scoring system and the ranking system can really access, um, you know, state leaders, give state leaders access in how to improve their programs and give local stakeholders, you know, different programs to compare themselves to around the country. Um, Right now, there are nearly 500,000 students enrolled in private school choice programs across the country. So that includes voucher programs, tax credit scholarship programs, ESAs. And we see that number increasing by about 40,000 each year. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting fact is that from 2016 to 2017, that 40,000 student growth happened primarily with tax credit scholarship students. So we see about 30,000 more students this year in tax credit scholarship programs mm-hmm. versus about 10,000 students more in voucher programs. All right. So, so half a million. So in, in rough numbers, we're talking about 1% of the nation's children, right? Of course, uh, it's more like 10% that are in private schools, uh, at least at last I counted. I think it has been declining somewhat, uh, but that's mostly the, the 9% are, are kids that are paying their own way or their families are. Okay, fair enough. And this is still, you know, when you compare it to say charter schools, what are we in the ballpark of now with charters? Uh, I think 7%, something like that, right? Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That high. Okay, so this is still, this is a small 
group of kids, but growing fast. All right, now let's get to the rankings because that's what I really love. <laughs> uh, from your perspective, and first, just very briefly, what are some things that you're looking for here? Where do you come down on various issues around how to hold schools accountable for results or whether you should do that in private school choice? Uh, other key questions, you know, or do they have to uh, let anybody in or can they have admissions requirements, et cetera, et cetera? How do you come down on all that? All good questions. Thank you. So uh, we have three broad categories that we rank and score all the programs in student eligibility, uh, program and scholarship size and accountability, as you mentioned. So for student eligibility, we want ideally programs to strike a balance between letting in a lot of students. So making the programs accessible to a lot of students, but also setting preferences for low income students. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are in fact caps on student enrollment to make mm-hmm. sure that the families that need it the most have access um, in terms of program size and scholarship size, we like to see the program steadily growing. Um, So, you know, kind of growing on par with other similar national programs. Mm -hmm. Scholarship size, obviously a huge piece there is just how much um, funding do the programs give per student as compared with public per pupil funding. And then for accountability. And and by the way, let's just pause on that, right? Because that is huge. I mean, if you want to know why this is at 1% and charter schools are at 7%, right? Uh, And and arguably why uh, traditional public schools are at over 80%, you know, the funding differences are huge. I mean, it is still the case in most parts in this country that if you open up a charter school uh, compared to a private school that's going after scholarships, uh, you're getting dramatically more money, right? And that's even in a charter sector that itself is getting 70 or 80 cents on the dollar compared to traditional public schools, right? I mean, this is, uh, so if if we want these programs to grow and especially to serve low-income kids and be of high quality, uh, we got to convince those liberals, David, uh, to pony up some money, huh? Yeah. Why so stingy? I'm on it, Mike. <laughs> I, uh, so I couldn't agree more. And I think I was just looking this up today. So you'll see in the guidebook that the average scholarship amount in private school choice programs is about 5,400 now versus the national per pupil average of funding, which is about 11, 11 and a half thousand. Um, so, you know, the, the differences, as you said, are huge and enormous. And I think, as you said, you, well, you know, this is particularly important in making sure that all families have access to to these programs. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, when kids switch to these programs, it saves the public money, you know? So, but getting, uh, getting those tuition levels up is, is hugely important. Okay. So accountability, you know, we're big fans of accountability here. We have had a fight with our friends uh, within the school choice movement on this point forever. Uh, from what I can tell, you guys are, are pretty much accountability hawks. Uh, yes, AFC likes to say that we advocate for common sense accountability mm-hmm. measures. Um, so in terms of the private choice programs and, you know, our scoring, uh, we like to see, you know, we give the highest scores for academic testing, which is a, na- a nationally normed assessment or state assessments mm-hmm. uh, given at least once a year. And then we also like to see those results reported out publicly, right? So it's mm-hmm. not just enough to give the test. You actually have to share and be transparent about reported- the results. By school level? Reported uh, ideally by, you know, the scholarship granting organization in the case of a tax credit scholarship right. or the But I mean, the in state. other words, you, you would see the results for each school rather than just the program as a whole? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't seen any states do the school. There, there are a few states that do the school yeah, level well, reporting. Louisiana, Indiana, sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but say Florida, for example, you just get the annual report that says how do the private schools perform versus traditional public schools. That's right. 
you don't get to see the data for individual schools. That's right. Yeah. So we like to make sure that's made public. And at the very least that it's given to the parent, this, you know, child performance is given to the parents. And then Mm -hmm. we also like to see the financial accountability as Mm -hmm. well. So there are some states that, you know, require the student testing and the assessments and the sharing, but then they don't have, you know, require also financial reporting for the Mm -hmm. participating schools. So that's another area of accountability that we think is important. Maybe I'll take back the hawk part a little bit. If it's not school (laughs) level, what's what's one step down from a hawk? Uh, Sparrow. Thank you. That's yeah. better than a an eagle. Yeah. An eagle. No, egret. I don't know. Uh, a pelican, maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So you put all that together. Which programs are the ones that you all are most excited about? Then it's a good question. So at the top of our list for voucher rankings, drumroll, please. Mm-hmm. Our uh, Racine uh, is parental choice program in Wisconsin is number Ooh. one for the voucher programs. Who knew? I know. And uh, Indiana's uh, choice scholarship program comes in number two. Mm-hmm. They're both pretty strong across the board. They have the accountability pieces that you like to see. Um, The Racine program is really steadily growing. I would give a shout out to all the Wisconsin programs. You know, the folks there on the ground have been really working just year after year to kind of continue to improve the regulations for those programs. And they've turned out to be pretty strong. Um, For the tax credit scholarship programs, no surprise here. We see Florida's program at the top of the list, really model program there in terms of, you know, the specific measures we like to see for tax credit programs, including scholarship granting organization requirements, accountability, et cetera. And then I'm personally excited about Nevada's uh, tax credit scholarship program, a newer program which was passed in 2015. They're a little bit slow on the student enrollment side because the funding is capped. I think it's around $20 million. Um, but the regulations themselves are really strong um, and they have you know all of the, the um, elements that we like mm-hmm. to see to be kind of at the level of Florida's program. All right. Very good. You know, now, of course, people uh, who d- oppose school choice will say, oh, well, Indiana, we don't have evidence of effectiveness yet. In fact, it might show that some of the kids in those voucher schools are underperforming. Uh, and on the flip side, again, some of our friends uh, tend to take a more libertarian view, worried that in a place like Indiana, you still see plenty of private schools not participating, right? So that was not something you looked at was the private school participation rate. And this, this debate about, again, what, what keeps a private school on the sidelines? And is it regulation? What kind of regulation? Is it the tuition amount? Uh, you know, is it something else that's going on? Can I just jump in here, Mike? I mean, I, I one thing that I would say to all sides of this debate and also to all sides of the voucher debate um, is that, you know, it actually, when you think about the the stakes of any individual kid, obviously they're high, Mm -hmm. right? But to your point at the beginning, currently we have, what, 1% at most of kids attending schools on vouchers, mm-hmm. right? Um, the way I like to put it when I talk to my liberal friends... Ooh, <laughs> let us in, yeah. <laughs> nah, I, I will. Uh, you know, the, the Affordable Care Act reorganized about a fifth of the economy, essentially overnight, Yeah. right? Uh, the most recent Republican tax bill reorganized... It drastically more than that, right? Yeah. I mean, th- this is how we usually do policy change in America is we, we just, you know, ball it all together in some massive bill that nobody yeah. understands, make a yeah. bunch of changes, about 55% of which actually makes sense, mm-hmm. um, or less often, um, and, and then and then sort of wait a few yeah. years and see if we made it any better. Um, that's actually not mm-hmm. a great model for policy change. And I, I think the one thing I would say to everybody who's skeptical of school choice, and, and this sort of includes me a few years back, right? Mm-hmm. When when the early voucher programs, or excuse me, the early charter program results were coming in and it was sort of a mixed bag 2009 mm-hmm. credo, right? It's like a little patience is warranted here, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're we're going to get this right <laughs> eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also this is an incredibly gradual and responsible way to experiment with new policies. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
keep well, an open sudden, well David. i just keep everybody keep an open mind right this is not the end of the conversation it's the beginning of the conversation right we're we're, we're barely starting here and and you're right and then and forty thousand kids a year might sound like a big number until you consider the 50 million kids uh in our schools this is this is incremental change yeah and and, and you know to your question about school participation uh it is something we've been thinking a lot about in states like indiana and louisiana mm-hmm. where there are these really fantastic schools that are not yet mm-hmm. accepting scholarship students so you know part of the implementation team's job at AFC is to ask these questions around mm-hmm. school quality and school participation. And uh, I think it's a good thing to consider for the for the guidebook for next year and for the scoring. Mm-hmm. Is that a measure that we might want to you know consider in thinking about the yep. overall program quality? All right. Well, thanks so much. Again, Hallie Faulkner from the American Federation for Children. You can find the guidebook on their website. Right. Yes, and at uh, www.schoolchoiceguidebook.com. And if you put your email address in, you can also get a free copy in the mail, a hard uh, copy. A hard copy? That's I crazy. Know, I That's know. crazy. You guys must be rolling in money. <laughs> Look at that. Hey, great to have you on, Hallie. Thank hope you. you come back and hope to see you around the block since, again, we, we, we all work uh, right here. I will. I'll find you at Chopped. All right. Sounds good. But don't look at my kind of salad. I don't want people to know what I'm eating. <laughs> Thanks, Hallie. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Adam Tyner, welcome back to the show. Thanks, how y'all doing? Uh, we're good, we're good. Adam stepping in for Amber this week again, and excited to have you with us. Of course, we were just Thanks. talking about how, you know, a bunch of us here in D.C. work like right around the block and never see each other. You, on the other hand, we talk to you all the time, and as far as we know, you, you live in Oklahoma. So, it's just a crazy that, world. That's my story, I'm sticking to it. All right, so, all right, so Adam, what do you have for us this week? Well, so rising graduation rates have been a topic of controversy lately, with some people excited that we're graduating more students than ever, and a lot of us curmudgeons saying that at least some of the rise is probably just an effect of lowered standards. So in the spirit of potential solutions that all of us curmudgeons and Professor Panglosses alike may be able to support, This week, we have an interesting program evaluation just published in the journal AERA Open entitled, very straightforwardly, The Long-Term Impact of Systematic Student Support in Elementary School Reducing High School Dropout. Sounds like a page turner. Yeah. The study estimates the effect on high school dropout of a comprehensive elementary school student support intervention called City Connects. The program, which is in some of the Boston public schools, is kind of like a meta program. It doesn't offer any specific services to students, but rather acts to improve student access to existing services. My understanding is that each school that has the program has both a dedicated coordinator and a database of local services that um, local services and educational enrichment opportunities in the school and also in the, around the local community. And every year that coordinator has discussions with teachers about each student, not just their academics, but their health and family environment, all that. Then the coordinator inputs that information from those conversations into this special computer program that then spits out a customized list of resources for each student. And the computer program also helps the coordinator to be more efficient by sending out automated messages and generally helping keep things organized. So the idea is pretty straightforward, that when you have students who are facing lots of challenges of poverty and everything else, intervening early can have long-range effects. 
So getting at-risk elementary school students connected to all the resources that are there in the community could help keep them on track better than waiting to intervene in the grades when students actually start dropping out. The way that they estimate the effects of the program is through what researchers call quasi-experimental methods. And although most of us social researchers use these methods, the great psychology researcher Don Campbell called them queasy experimental methods because it should make us a little queasy thinking about whether our program and control groups are actually equivalent. Adam, and I just want to say you're you're, moment. you're kind of on fire here today, Adam. I just want to say, <laughs> talk, man, you've got I'll some good lines. A little bit about how that might be the case here in a moment, but basically the i the um the idea is that they're comparing students in schools that got the program to similar students in schools that didn't using some matching techniques. In any case, the estimated effects are really powerful. Relative to comparison students, City Connects students have a little more than half the odds of dropping out of school during any given grade, and overall, just a little more than half the odds of dropping out in high school at all. In case that wasn't clear, this means that the researchers estimate that this elementary school program almost cuts the high school dropout rate in half. The Mm. overall high school dropout rate for students in the control group was 16.6%. But for students who are exposed to the program in elementary school, the dropout rate is just 9.2%. Really incredible. So there are some reasons that we might want to take the effects of the study with a little grain of salt. And the magnitude of the estimated impact, particularly for a result that comes several years after the intervention arouses a little suspicion in my book. Also, we have just six program schools, and they're quite different than the comparison schools in some ways. And their method for controlling for the differences, including the usual suspects, race and and uh, free or reduced price lunch status and ELL students, stuff like that. It lacks a good measure of poverty um, that is and is is not particularly comprehensive. So they have free or reduced lunch status, but That's the only thing they have, and almost all these schools are almost 100% free and reduced lunch, so there could be some uh, variation getting obscured there. Um, Another thing is that while I'm sure that the researchers at the Center for Optimized Student Support at Boston College that conducted this, I'm sure they're of the utmost integrity. We should note that this evaluation was performed by the group that promotes this program, not external researchers. So... I guess I just said, take this with a little bigger grain of salt than most of the studies we feature on the Research Minute. That said, the idea that schools should have a devoted staff member who reviews each student's situation individually and then uses a local database to connect them to services and programs that are likely to be especially beneficial for them seems to me like kind of a no-brainer. Why wouldn't schools be doing something like that? And I know that Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places that we could be spending money. To me, that intuitively seems like a pretty good one. But despite the caveats about the magnitude of the effects, I'd say this is some decent evidence that a program that makes sure elementary school students, especially those in poverty, are getting access to whatever services and programs would most benefit them could be a powerful way to keep those students on track. All right. Good stuff. You know, I, I, you should have seen David's face, though, when you announced those huge impacts I think he's yeah. right that he is finding them incredible, as in not credible. That uh, was the word I used. Everybody's yes. on fire today. Boom. Uh, but you make a good point, Adam. I mean, this is not uh, something that's unusual, right? I mean, I think this is the model that communities and schools uh, uses in a lot of places. You know, talk people talk about wraparound services as if that's something new. You know, I mean, clearly the study, in order to study this impact, it means that they must have been doing this at least, what, you know, 10 years ago or something. 
Uh, and yeah, yeah it, I mean, I it's think you're kind of right. rare that you get these studies that cover such a long range, which is yeah. one of the cool things about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and the notion that you know is what any good school does, right? Is is to make sure that they notice when kids are having issues and they figure out ways to connect them with the resources they need. Uh, you know, some cases that means bringing those resources under the same roof. In other cases, it means just being really good about connecting with the community resources. Not that it's easy, but it's uh, promising. Yeah, it is it is promising, Mike. It's it's tough to be against something that's so hard to define. So, <laughs> so let's all be for it. Yeah, let's all be for it. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, let's ask ourselves, why is the AERA uh, journal uh, letting in papers when people evaluate their own programs? That seems like something that maybe they want to work on. No? Right? Yeah. Well, they're peer reviewed and they're, right. I'm, I'm sure that they conducted this with integrity, but uh, it is, I, I do think it probably would give it more credibility if we had external researchers doing it. All right. Good. Well, thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks for pitching in all the way from Oklahoma. Absolutely. That is indeed all the time that we have, though. Uh, so until next week, I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.